Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and you're listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast with Pastor Stephen. Today, you're listening to his sermon titled, God's Alarm Clock, and it comes out of Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. If you have a Bible today, please open up to the book of Romans. We're in chapter 13. We're finishing chapter 13, 52 weeks now. We've been walking through the book of Romans. We got a little bit longer to go. And uh, we'll finish, Lord willing, by the, uh, I don't know, by 2023 at least. Hey, today we're going to talk about waking up. God's alarm clock. And that's going to be hard for some of you because you're not used to waking up during church. I heard about a guy in a church and uh, every Sunday the preacher would start preaching. This guy would fall asleep. And uh, it just drove the pastor crazy. He'd start snoring. It was just a bad thing. And so the pastor thought, you know what? One Sunday I'm finally going to get this guy. And so he decided he was going to play a trick on him. And so the pastor very quietly while this guy was sleeping said to everyone else, All of you who would like to go to heaven when you die, please stand. Everybody stood up except this guy that was asleep. And then the pastor said, okay, you can please be seated. And then he said, all of you who would like to go to hell, stand up. And this guy jumped up to his feet and he was startled and he was looking around and he said, preacher, I don't know what we're voting on, but you and I are the only ones for it. (laughs) Well, today we're going to be talking about waking up, right? But not from a physical slumber. We're going to be talking about waking up from a spiritual slumber. Hearing God's alarm. We're there in Romans. We're in chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, as we walk through the book of Romans. He says in verse 11, And do this. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, Not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. In this passage of Scripture, there are four directives that we see given to us from the Apostle Paul as he is talking about spiritually being awake. The first directive is simply this, awaken from your apathy. Awaken from your apathy. Now, here's what we know physically, and you might even identify with this. There are some folks that just don't wake up very easily. There are some folks that they have to, an hour and a half before the time that they get up, set their clock because they know at least seven or eight times they're going to hit the snooze button. I don't know who invented snooze, but it's straight from the pits of hell. Now, you may be one of those people that you don't have that problem. Man, you jump up before the alarm goes off and you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and you're ready to go. Let us just go ahead and say this, you're weird. (laughs) Most folks can't do that. But 
What happens is there are some folks that are spiritually hitting the snooze button. That when God comes along and God calls on us to wake up spiritually and you hear the wake up call and then you go ahead and you try to do the very same thing physically that you do. You might stir for a moment but then all of a sudden you reach over, you hit that snooze button and here's what you say. You say, it's okay, I'll just spiritually stay asleep. And the truth is, there are probably even some of you in this building today, you're sitting here and your eyes are open. I mean, maybe a few of you, your eyes are not, but most of you. Your eyes are open, you're watching me, you're listening to me, but you are spiritually asleep. What do I mean by that? You're not sensitive to what's going on around you spiritually. For instance, if you never crack open that Bible and read it, you're spiritually asleep. If you never share your faith or you don't have a desire to share your faith, you are spiritually asleep. And God says, wake up. God says, the alarm is going off. You need to wake up. Guys, you know how... You know how uh, hotels have those little do not disturb signs that you hang on the door, right? It's like I look across this room today and it's almost like I see that hanging around some of your necks. You're like, okay, if you want me to sit, I'll sit. If you want me to stand, I'll stand. If you sing a right kind of song, then I might even sing that. You know, I'll do whatever in the world you want me to do. But listen, I do not want to be disturbed. And the alarm has gone off. Wake up from your apathy. God's saying that to every single one of us today. A survey was done not too long ago. And here was the number one question that was asked. Which do you think is worse? Ignorance or apathy? The number one answer. I'm not even making this up to be funny. The number one answer. I don't know and I don't care. Isn't that a sign of us today? Apathy is when you don't care what's going on. Apathy is when you're content. You're just going to do your own little thing and you're going to go home and you're going to continue your life. Yet verse 11 tells us why we need to wake up. Look at 11 again. It says knowing the time. What time? The second coming of Jesus Christ. Knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. You go over to Mark chapter 13, verse 35. I want you to hear what Jesus said. He said, therefore keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows or at dawn. And then this is what Jesus is saying to every one of you today. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you asleep. I firmly believe that Jesus Christ could come back before this sermon is over today. I had people ask me all the time, Pastor, do you think that Jesus Christ is going to come back in 2022? I'm like, be a good a time as any. And a lot of you in this room are saved and you say, you know what, I'll be all right. But the truth is, did you know that you can be saved and you can still be asleep? 
I mean, physically, you're alive and you can be asleep, right? Well, it's the same way spiritually in your own life. You can be saved, but you're so unaware and you're so insensitive to what is going on spiritually that you literally find yourself in a spiritual slumber. And it's happening today in the church. Today, the church in America reminds me of the Old Testament character, Samson. You remember Samson? A great man of strength. Yet Samson's strength came, his strength came from the Lord. And I don't know why, but he felt like he had to entice Delilah. And he was doing everything he could to, to appease her. He was involved in an illicit, immoral relationship with her. And the Bible says that he is there and he is laying with his head in Delilah's lap. And while he is laying there, there are folks that come in and they cut his hair. That's where his strength was. He wakes up and he sees what's going on and he's like, you know what, I'm going to take care of these guys. But yet he could not because his strength had left him. To you and I, Delilah represents our culture today. Delilah represents our world today. Friends, listen to me. You know what has happened in America? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has gone to sleep in the lap of a cultural Delilah. We thought that we must marry the world and its attitudes and its mindset. And all around us, we have folks that say this. Well, you know what? If, if the world is going to accept the gospel, then we've got to make the gospel palatable to the world. So let us become more like the world. And instead of the church changing the world, the world, in many instances, has changed the church. I want to remind you today, I remind the way church, I remind everyone else today, the gospel needs no help. The gospel is sufficient within itself. The gospel does not need any tweaking. The gospel does not need any dressing up. The Lord Jesus Christ is faithful and sufficient. And today when a cry goes out, wake up church. The church will shake itself to life, but the power has gone. God help us, we need to wake up. We need to awaken from apathy, but there's a second directive in these verses. We need to acknowledge the time. Look at verse 11 again. He says in verse 11, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake, to awake out of sleep. Why? Because he tells us in verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Now, in the New Testament, there are two words for time. One is chronos. We get our word chronology from that. It means a specific date, a specific time. That's not the word that is used here. The other word is the word keros. That means a season, okay? Not a date on a calendar or a planner. Not a specific time, but a season. I'll give you an example. Let's say that I made the statement, hey, uh, you know, the time's coming to where it's going to be cooler weather. Now, we know that I'd not be talking about the panhandle of Florida. Right? 
But most places you can make that statement. The season is coming to where it's going to be cooler. You might want to start carrying a jacket or some of those things. I, I was told when I moved here to Panama City, Florida, that there are two seasons, summer and January. And I found that to be true. And sometimes January's hot. Many of you, like me, just because you can do it, find yourself going to the beach on Christmas morning to take pictures to send it back where you've come from because they're just not going to believe it. But it's a season. Maybe a better way is not, hey, there's a season coming where it's going to get cooler. Maybe the better way to say it is this, hey, we're almost in hurricane season. Y'all get that one, don't you? Yeah. It's not a specific day. It's not a specific time. But instead, what it is saying is, it is a season of time that's coming. So when Scripture says, know the present time, Scripture's not saying, know the date on a calendar. It's not saying, know a time on the clock. It's talking, spiritually speaking, about a season. And it says of this season, it's later than it's ever been before. Spiritually, it's later than it's ever been before. It's like the story that I heard about this guy who, um, he loved to play cards with his friends. And he would come home late at night and it would just drive his wife crazy. She said, I'm warning you, you better start getting home earlier. I'm tired of you coming in after midnight. And so he was out and he was playing cards with his buddies and just so happened the house that they were playing at, it had this beautiful old grandfather clock. And so, you know, every hour the chimes would go off and that's kind of how he was keeping track of the time. He didn't know that this grandfather clock was not the most accurate in the world. And so he's playing cards and all of a sudden he hears it doing the chimes, you know, nine, ten, and it got later, eleven, and then the next time he heard it chime twelve and then thirteen chimes. And he jumped up from the table, knocked all the cards off, ran out of the house, and his buddy grabbed him and said, what are you doing? Where are you going? i got to get home, fellas. It's later than it's ever been before. It's later than it's ever been before. That's what Paul is saying. Spiritually, it is later than it's ever been before. Church, if Paul thought that Jesus Christ was coming back soon, 2,000 years ago, don't you think we ought to be, leave a little bit more intensely that Jesus Christ could come back soon? Sometimes people will mock. Sometimes people will say, he's been gone for 2,000 years Preachers have been preaching for a long time that he's coming back. Oh, come on. We know he's not coming back. Where do you find the promise of him coming back soon? Well, it's found all throughout the Bible. I'll give you a particular text that I find interesting. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Don't be deceived. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. So for us, we're like it's been 2,000 years since he left. But by God's accounting, it's only been a couple of days He could come back at any time. He could come soon. He could come before I finish this message. But then there's another part of this. He tells us there that our salvation is nearer than ever. Look at verse 11. It says in verse 11, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. You say, now wait just a second, Pastor. I thought my salvation was something that 
That was past tense. My salvation has already happened, and now you're telling me that my salvation is in the future? Which one is it? Is my salvation past tense, or is it future? My answer to that would be yes. It's both. If you were here when we walked through Romans chapter 8, in Romans 8, it talks about three tenses of salvation. There is, uh, you know, the past tense. That means you've been saved. That is known as justification. Then you are being saved. That is sanctification. And then in the future, one day, you'll be completely saved. That is glorification. Glorification means this, that the day will come that the sin that so hinders you, that the sin that so shackles you, that you will then no longer be bound by that. That one day, what sin has messed up with this world gloriously will be restored the way that God created it to be. And that includes you and me because of Jesus. Philippians 1.6, listen to what it says. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of Jesus Christ. You say, what day is he talking about there? He's talking about the day that he comes back or he's talking about the day that you take your last breath and you go to meet him. And what happens is we find ourselves living in our culture. We find ourselves trying to make the gospel more attractive. We find ourselves more concerned with the bottom line of putting more backsides in seats and taking up more money, unfortunately, than we are many times to the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no wonder is the church so anemic today. No wonder do we find ourselves dealing with foolishness Today, I want you to hear the day that he's talking about there. He's talking about the day of the coming of the Lord. And then over in Hebrews 10.25, it basically tells us there that people are spiritually asleep. And the reason why they're spiritually asleep is because their faithfulness level is so poor. He says in verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see, here it is again, as you see the day approaching. That instead of being less faithful to the body of Christ, instead of being less faithful to the cause of Christ, the closer we get to that day, we ought to even be more faithful. Let me ask you this. How do you decide whether you're going to come to church or not? I, I was talking to our executive pastor, Carl, just this past week, and he's all the time reading up on statistics and stuff. And, you know, they, they, they define what church members are, and they define what, I think it's called uh, unusual attendees. I may not have that word correct there, but basically, it used to be if somebody came to church once a month or once every six weeks, then they were considered a faithful church member. And some of you are like, my goodness, I'm a fanatic. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Yet now, it's if they come to church at a funeral or a wedding. They consider them to be church members. But let me ask you, how do you decide whether you're going to come to church or not? On Saturday night, you say, well, if I don't have anything better to do tomorrow, if I don't oversleep, right? 
then I'll go to church. How do you decide on Sunday morning whether you're going to come to church or not? Well, if I don't have anywhere else to go, if the weather's good, if there's no threat of rain, come on, guys. If I don't have a headache, I guess I'll go to church. That is the level of your faithfulness to the church. How faithful are you? Again, Hebrews 10.25, it's not just a suggestion. It's not just God being legalistic, friend. He is telling us what is absolutely essential for us. Don't forsake encouraging one another. That's what we do in church. That's the reason why I'm consistently standing before you saying, guys, you've got to be involved in a group outside of what just happens in this room. Be a part of a life group because encouragement happens in a life group. Be a part of a connect group. Encouragement happens there. Be a part of a small group within our church that is encouraging, that is holding you accountable. That is what he's saying here. You need to be more faithful, not less faithful, as you see that day approaching. What day? the second coming of Jesus Christ. Again, nobody knows the day or hour. Nobody knows the chronos. But he says you can know the keros. You can know the season. You say, what are some signs that we are in the season? I'll give you a few. First of all, Jesus said this. When you see the fig tree putting forth its leaves again, you'll know you're in the season. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about Israel being recognized as a nation again. That happened in 1948. I would encourage you guys, read the history of how that came to pass. Only God could have done that. He also tells us that when they, when they, uh, when they entered and they retook Jerusalem again, the holy city, that would be another sign that happened in 1967. Another sign is the temple will be rebuilt the Jews will start sacrificing again in the temple. And there are folks that say that they have already begun rebuilding the temple. You're like, well, hang on now. I've been to the temple mount. I've seen the dome with the rock. There's no temple up there. No, they're not building it up there. They're building it about 30 feet underneath it. I'm just saying, guys, I stand before you today firmly believing that he could come back at any time. Don't ignore the signs. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. But you can know the season. And the Bible says the day is approaching. This morning, God's trying to say to you, wake up. Look at the clock. Look at the spiritual alarm clock. Quit hitting snooze. Acknowledge the time that you're in. Awaken from your apathy. But then there's a third directive. Abandon works of darkness. Now, when you wake up in the morning and you look at the clock, and I don't know how you are, again, maybe, maybe you're one of those six snooze persons, but you finally get out of bed. You usually, hopefully, you'll walk into the bathroom and you'll look at your face, and at least, I mean, my goodness, even middle school boys will wash their face. Here's what I've learned about middle school boys. I know a lot of them. They'll make sure their hair's wet and fixed just right. Hair's way overrated. I'm just telling you right now. People ask me all the time, how does it feel to be bald? Here's my response. Grass doesn't grow on a busy street, friend. See, some of you can't even figure that out. You got a head full of hair. 
Let's say you wake up, you walk into the bathroom, you at least wash your face, and some of you will take a shower, and you know, you brush your teeth, and you, you, you'll take your pajamas off or your night clothes that you slept in. I mean, you're going you're gonna to take them and you're going to put those in the dirty clothes hamper, or uh, for our students, you're at least going to throw them on the floor. You're going to put on new clothes, and you're going to walk out ready for the day. I look around this room this morning. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I see anybody in here that, that has, you, 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 you're here today the way you woke up this morning. Well, there might be a few up there in stadium seating, but I, I think everybody else, you cleaned up, you put on clothes, you did all that kind of stuff. Well, he's using that illustration here, and he is telling us that you ought to do that very same thing spiritually. Look at what he says in verse 12. The night is far spent. Here's this phrase again. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. So that's a picture. You're taking off your pajamas. You're taking off your old sleeping clothes. And you're putting them again in the hamper. And Paul gets very specific. And he even mentions three sets of sin. That if you claim to be a Christian, these are not going to be a part of your life. Now, hear what I'm saying today. I'm not saying that you do these things in order to be saved. What I'm saying today is, if you truly are saved, these are not going to categorize your life. They're not going to be a part of your life. What does he mention there? Look at what he says in verse 13. Revelry and drunkenness. Debauchery and drunkenness. Can I say it grieves my heart to see adults and teenagers who live for the weekend and live for the next party and they say, man, I can't wait to get wasted. If you're a follower of Christ, that should not be you. He's talking about those that are not looking for drugs are looking, and it can even be prescribed, they're not looking for any other outside substance to try to numb their feeling or to try to get them through to the next day. He's talking about instead finding hope and trust and, and a future in Jesus Christ. That the Bible says if you're a Christian, you're not going to act that way. And I've had folks say this to me, oh, you're one of them, aren't you? Well, no, what do you mean? I had a guy tell me not too long ago, you're one of those fuddy-duddy Christians. I'm like, I don't think that's a compliment. <laughs> you fuddy-duddy Christians who think that you can't have any fun whatsoever. I said, when I hang on now, I promise you I have as much fun as anybody in this world. And when I wake up in the morning, I don't have a hangover either. Notice what he says. He says, abandon these. Take them off like you take off those old clothes. Get ready. He's coming soon. But then look at what else he says. Lewdness and lust. Lust there covers every kind of sexual sin, whether it be premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, pornography. Do you know pornography is rampant in our churches? Lewdness means the kind of personal activity that should cause you shame, but you're no longer ashamed. 
that we've grown so accustomed to sexual immorality in our society today, nothing makes us blush anymore. Stop and think, when's the last time you blushed? Did you know that you can become so uh, deep into sin that people do shameful things and it doesn't even bother them anymore? The kind of sin he's talking about here. Then look at what he says. Strife and envy. That means gossip and rumors and any kind of behavior that serves to drive a wedge between people, to drive them apart. He says if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, these things should not be a part of your life. That is the old part of your life, right? Those are those old sleep clothes I've taken off and I've put on a new cloth or a new cloth. What is that? It is the code of righteousness. Why? Because I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. I'm in Christ. No longer do I even have the desire to do those things. He says, you better get ready. He's coming back. Don't be asleep. Wake up. Quit being apathetic about spiritual things. And I'll just say this. If you've allowed some pursuit or some hobby to take precedent over your faithfulness to serving the Lord Jesus Christ through his local church, then you've allowed a hobby to become a god. And hobbies are great, but they make terrible gods. Look at the fourth one. We might get out. No, we're not. We're not. I was going to say early. We might get out early. This is a long one. You're not getting out early. Trying to set you up. I know you're not going to let them out early over there, are you? Exactly. Thank you. Here's the fourth one. Adorn yourself in the armor of light. Look at verse 12. Cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So, Going back to the illustration, you've already done this today physically, right? You got up, you, you, you washed your face. Again, you've put on these new clothes. You got ready, good for you. You came out to church, you put on clean clothes. The Bible says do that spiritually. What does he mean when he says do that spiritually? Again, look in verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let his righteousness, let his forgiveness, let his grace cover you. But notice what he says. Put it on. Put it on, right? Put it on yourself. In other words, it's not something that Jesus is just going to come and do to you. He's not going to say, I'm just going to go ahead and put this on you. I'm just going to go ahead and drape this on you. No, no, it is you. You have a choice in the matter. He says, I'm encouraging you, put it on. I want you to choose to put me on, to be clothed and covered by Jesus. What are we putting on? The armor of light. Why don't we put on the armor of light? Because there's a battle going on, and in order for us to defend against all these darts of the devil, you must put on the armor of light. And we naturally think, oh, the armor of light. That means that I'm to shine for Jesus. That's not what it means. Can I tell you something? This is going to be freeing for some of you guys. You can't shine for Jesus. Whew. Man, that's a load lifted. I can't shine for Jesus. We're not called to shine for Jesus. We're merely called to be reflectors of his light. It means I reflect the character of Jesus Christ, right? It means, it means that I am reflecting who He is, His personality, His power. 
It's something that I choose to do, but I'm not producing this. That instead, as I'm falling more in love with him, being more obedient and submissive to him as my Lord, it is something that is just automatically oozing out of me. I'll give you an example of this. We've got time. Isaiah 61.3. Look at what it says. Jesus provides a garment of praise instead of a spirit of of despair. So there are some of you that walked in this room today, and man, you've got a spirit of despair, don't you? You've got a spirit of discouragement. It is weighing you down. There are some of you are like, man, I don't even know why I, should, why I went to church today. It was a struggle. I don't even want to be here. And Jesus has just said this, I want to clothe you with my character. I want to give you this garment of praise. I want you to take off that spirit of heaviness. I want you to take off that, that despair and that discouragement. And instead, he says, I want you to put on this garment of praise and some of you are saying well that's nice Jesus but frankly I just don't feel much like praising right now if I felt like praising then I'd put it on no that's wrong do you see this this is not what he means when you put it on then you'll praise Again, let me go back to this, this, this cold analogy. Let's say that it's January the 2nd, and it's like 6 a.m. in the morning, and we have had this crazy, crazy cold streak that has come true, that has come through the panhandle, and they've said, oh my goodness, there's also a chance of light precipitation, and I run into you in the grocery store parking lot because you and I both are getting milk, bread, and eggs. We have no intention of using them, but you never know. And you're standing there and you're like, man, I am so cold. Some of you are like, I can identify with that right now. I am so cold. And I'm like, well, here, I've got a jacket. Let me go ahead. I'll give you my jacket so you can warm up. And your response to me is this. No, 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 I'm going to wait till I warm up. Then I'll put your jacket on. Am I the only one that thinks that's dumb? You're not going to do that. How crazy would that be? No, let me first warm up, and then I will put on the garment that is supposed to warm me up. No. He says, here's the garments of praise. You say, well, I don't really feel like praising this morning because it's been a hard week. It's been a very discouraging week, or maybe even a discouraging couple of months. He says, right here, put it on. Put on the garment of praise. And guess what? You'll start praising God. Put on the jacket, and guess what? You'll start warming up. You put on the garment of praise, and that spirit of despair will be removed. That's what he is saying here. And then look at verse 14. We'll finish this thing up. You're also called to remove all opportunities to sin. Look at what he says. Make no provisions for the flesh. Can I tell you what I have found to be incredibly incredibly damaging folks that have struggled with alcohol alcoholism and you try to help them you try to walk with them through the process and then in the course of the conversation I'm like well what, what, what happened how, how how do you keep returning to it? well you know I just got I got real weak and I and you know and I, and I just drank I'm like oh, okay well, I mean did you go to a bar did you go did you go to the grocery store? I mean, do you, do you have a deacon living next door? What happened? Not our deacons. No, sorry. He's like, well, no, no. I always keep some under the sink. What? 
What? This is what this means. It's saying, he uses the words right here. Make no provision for the flesh. I'm going to put it in layman's terms. Don't set yourself up for failure. No, no, no. I've, I've had a struggle with alcohol. I'm an alcoholic. Guess what? I don't need it in the house. I got to stay away from it. Can I just say that's a great policy anyway? We don't even have time to get into that, do we? You preachers up there, look at you. You, you have the sin of gluttony and you overeat. I may have a thyroid problem. You don't know. You don't know. Eat less now than I've ever eaten in my life. You preachers want to harp on drinking and you got a gluttony problem. All right, let's just be practical about this. Who do you want to meet driving towards you on Saturday night about 11 o'clock? The guy who's overeating? We, we don't even have to talk about that. But I, I'm, I'm amazed by the folks that set themselves. So, for instance, let's say that you've been involved in some kind of adulterous relationship with somebody, and then you're like, we're just going to be friends. What? No, 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 no. No, no, no. You're gonna, you're, you, that relationship is over. You're not, you're not going to have any communication with them at all anymore. You're going you're to delete their number out of your phone. You're going you're to delete their email address. You're going to unfriend them on Facegram and Twit Chat. You're not going to do any of that. As long as you have a connection, you're making a provision for the flesh. Pornography. I heard me say that earlier. Pornography is ravaging. Not only the church, it's ravaging the family. And the reason why is it's so easily accessible. It is right there on that phone. And I would dare say there are many in this room. I used to say men, but it's not just men. There are many in this room and you're struggling right now with the powerful diction of pornography. It would be, in the old days, it was easy. I would just say, you know what? Go home, get all the magazines, get all the DVDs, the tapes, and burn them and don't buy any more. But yet now it's right there at your fingertips so what would be the practical thing for you I'm going to set up where I do not have access to where I can pull anything up electronically to view that and you say well I, I've done that before but I override it I get a password and I override the password and all this kind of stuff then here's what I would say it'd be better for you not to even have a phone than to still do what he says here making a provision for the flesh Mm. be careful you don't allow that to happen. So the Bible says we're getting dressed up, right? The Bible says we're staying dressed up. Why? In the righteousness of Jesus because He is coming back. March the 21st, 1998. Over 24 years ago, I was so excited. I woke up that morning uh, in the Holiday Inn in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And uh, my buddies from college were there. My family was there. I woke up knowing that afternoon I was going to marry Jennifer Parrish. Hung around the hotel that morning, really didn't get in a hurry. Was just having a good time with my friends, my buddies. We had moved apart since college and seminary. And we were just kind of spending some time together, just having a good time. And I really wasn't rushed to get ready. I hadn't shaved. That was back when I shaved, you know. Didn't shave and, you know, I hadn't taken a shower, hadn't done anything like that. And we were just having a good time and watching a little bit of TV and horsing around. And uh, I'll never forget my dad said this. My dad walked in the room and he said, son, are you ready? 
I thought he meant it spiritually or maybe emotionally. Well, yeah, Dad, I'm ready. I've really thought, no. He goes, no, 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 I don't mean that. I mean, are you ready? You look terrible. I'm like, well, I can get ready. I got, I got some time. He says, you know what? Go ahead and get ready now. Okay, all right. Get off my, you know, I didn't say that, get off my back. I honor my parents. But I was thinking, come on, man. Went into the shower and, man, I, you know, I, I got that, I think it was like Holiday Inn Herbal Essence or something like that. Got that and washed and rinsed and repeated. I mean, I was doing it all, man. And, uh, you know, really, really got clean and everything. And, and I even sprayed on some green polo. You old timers know what I'm talking about. You save that for special days. Normal day, brute. But, but special days, that little bottle of green polo. And then don't buy the knockoff. The knockoff does not smell the same. I'm just good advice for young people. And I got ready, and I was trying to put on that tuxedo, and it was a weird thing. It had a tie, not really a bow tie, and yet it had... So anyway, we're getting all that. We're all trying to get that ready. I finally got dressed, and I had two hours before I had to be at the church that afternoon. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? And my dad's like, well, you're ready. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready, but what am I going to do now? Well, you're going to sit here ready. The most important thing is you're ready. You're dressed up, and you're ready to go. Mm. the Bible says Jesus is going to come back real soon to take his bride home to the wedding feast. Revelation 19 says this, the bride of Christ has made herself ready. That means if you know Jesus as your Lord, that's you. Has made herself ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me ask you this morning, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus Christ to come back? If you're not saved, you need to be saved today. Do not buy the lie that you will always have another opportunity. My fear is that hell is filled with people today who thought they would always have another opportunity. But I'm also asking Christians, are you ready? Are you dressed up? Are you still wearing those old dirty clothes from your past life? Some of those old habits, some of those old attitudes. The Bible says you need to get dressed up. Stay dressed up. Get ready. The groom's coming for the bride. I heard the story of a daddy who was teaching his, his small daughter how to say her bedtime prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep is what they were doing. She's just learning it, so she'd still get a little confused. One night she was praying, and here's what she said. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And this is where she got messed up. She said, if I should wake before I die. And she said, oh, Daddy, I always get mixed up on that one. I'm sorry. I'll start over. And here's what this wise Daddy said. No, sweetheart, what you just prayed is a very profound prayer. If I should wake before I die, how about it? How different would your Christian life be if you were to wake up spiritually before you die? Some of you in this room right now are without Christ. You need to wake up to the fact that you are lost without Jesus. 
Your day of salvation needs to be today. He is coming soon. And some of you Christians need to quit spiritually sleepwalking around. You need to get out of your spiritual slumber. You need to wake up and get on with what God's doing. There needs to be a spiritual awakening that takes place and it happens where? One person at a time. If I should wake before I die, that'd make a great difference in all of our lives. If I should wake before I die. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida, and we would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www. Dot Highland and it's H I L A N D Park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email info at highlandpark.org if you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him. Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.